This is the Education Gadfly Show. You know, it's one of these really great liberal arts colleges, but it is not super, super woke. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my special guest for this week, Jing Lu. Jing, welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting Mike. Yeah, Jing is the an assistant professor in education policy at the University of Maryland at College Park and the author of our latest report, Imperfect Attendance Toward a Fairer Measure of Student Absenteeism. We're looking forward to talking to you about all of that stuff. And Jing also have to say a proud alumni of the Emerging Education Policy Scholars Program that we do with AEI. I think you were part of that a few years ago, yes. Yeah, I really enjoy that experience. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, hey, it's great to have you on the show. And hey, we really enjoyed working with you on this important new report. Let's talk about it in Ed Reform Update. All right. Well, you know, Jing, look, chronic absenteeism is on everyone's mind right now, because even though most schools have remained open now for, for several months, it's been a while since the Omicron surge. So far, knock on wood, it doesn't look like this new surge uh, is going to be too bad. Here's hoping. You know, the quarantine policies have gotten a little better. The In other words, things are getting a little bit more back to normal. And yet, uh, we keep hearing reports about just terrible chronic absenteeism that we're still struggling to get kids to school every day. You've been concerned about this issue for a long time. And this study uses data uh, from an unnamed uh, school district from before the pandemic. And you introduced this notion, at least to a broader public, I guess maybe a few, maybe, maybe one person has used it before, but this notion of attendance value added. And so start there. What does it mean to look at attendance value added? And and why is that important? Why is that better than looking at daily attendance rates or even chronic absenteeism rates, which were supposed to be this this great uh, improvement, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the ESSA days that we were going to finally fix the way we measure attendance and look at chronic absenteeism? Totally. So the main difference uh, resides in a level measure and a gross measure. So if you look at a measure like chronic absenteeism or total absent days, you are basically calculating the average of absent days for uh, a group of students, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if you look at those gross measures, it mainly, uh, it mainly captures how well a school is doing in terms of improving school attendance. Mm-hmm. And that accounts for student prior absenteeism and a host of other student characteristics. Yeah. So uh, if you read the report, you will find that when you compare a measure like chronic absenteeism to a school's demographic composition, you will see a very strong correlation because mm-hmm. it's very well um, expected that low-income, low-achieving, and high-minority schools would have higher absenteeism. But if in this gross measure, which we call it uh, attendance value added, we account for all those measures and this correlation kind of disappears. So that's kind of the main uh, Mm -hmm. benefits of using a gross measure. One, we are looking at the change. Mm -hmm. Second, we are getting rid of the characteristics of a student body a school is serving. Yeah. And, and so important, right? I mean, look, uh, people on listening to this show know that I am passionate about the idea of looking at growth measures instead of status measures when it comes to test scores for all the reasons that you said, right? That if if you just look at the percentage of kids who are proficient, uh, there is a, a very strong correlation with the school's demographics. You don't actually do a good job differentiating between, for example, high poverty schools that are doing a great job for their kids and those that are doing a terrible job. 
if you shift to value added measures with test scores, you can differentiate. You see huge differences. And suddenly you see these fantastic high poverty schools that are making, helping kids make dramatic progress from year to year. Same idea here, right? And, and yet back in 2015, when Congress passed the Every Student Succeeds Act, and then the years have followed, a bunch of states adopted chronic absenteeism as the so-called fifth indicator, especially for elementary schools. And <laughs> I think what we now see is what it has done is basically automatically deflate the overall rankings for high poverty schools, at least in any state that has some kind of, you know, A to F or one to five star system where they put all the data together and it spits out a grade. You know, you're going to take these high performing, high poverty schools and you're going to give them a bad grade for chronic absenteeism, most likely. Even if they're actually doing a good job in getting their kids to school compared to what you would expect compared to how those individual kids were behaving in the past when it came to attendance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. So we want to get the incentive right. When using this kind of uh, gross merits or attendance value added, we are not going to penalize schools that are serving a difficult student body, Mm -hmm. right? So in that way, we are comparing schools in a fairer way. And there's this also a fascinating finding that you had that it appears it may be that tenants value added is measuring something quite different from the test score value added, right? In other words, right. there's some it's not the same schools that necessarily mm-hmm. do well on both. You get a somewhat mm-hmm. different group of schools. It reminds me of a similar finding Caribou Jackson had in a paper that he did, right? Looking, I think, was it at teachers' impact on some of these things that, you know, some of the sort of call it non-cognitive impacts are a little bit different and, right. and than, than the... Uh, test score impacts. Another thing you try to dig into is, of course, this black box of, okay, well, great. I mean, the goal is that we're talking about, you know, a measure and maybe accountability systems, but the goal is to get schools to do something to get kids back to class and to improve their attendance measures. And you're able to dig into at least, again, some promising findings on what that may look like. Tell us about that. Yeah, and what I particularly like in this report is the ability to link attendance value added to students' self-reports, school climate and culture measures. Mm-hmm. So when we kind of create this kind of gross measures, we don't want to just stop there and like rank schools based on a very abstract impact. Yeah. Right? We want to know why and how to support and help schools to do a better job with mm-hmm. keeping st- students at school. So in this district I work with, uh, very uniquely, we have access to the data to student self-report school climate culture. And then we link those school-by-year metric on attendance value added to those school-level culture and climate metrics. We have kind of five different measures under the broad umbrella of culture and climate. And the strongest correlation actually comes to school safety mm-hmm. and the student perception of the uh, rule clarity and expectation. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of really fascinating to me because we kind of are able to pinpoint some of the things school can do to better engage mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the strongest factor uh, there is school safety. Mm-hmm. And there are a myriad of other factors we look at, and some of them also show pretty meaningful correlations. Mm-hmm. But school safety and this perception of rule clarity kind of stand out as the strongest predictors. Yeah. And, and look, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, th- this lines up with my priors, you know, a big hawk when it comes to school safety and school discipline. And, and look, just, just the notion that kids are saying they want the rules to be clear. They want the rules to be enforced. They want to be kept safe. Maybe that is giving us a little bit of a hint here. You know, we have, of mm-hmm. course, all of these reports as well about schools being feeling out of control right now, a lot of behavioral issues inside schools, just like we are tragically seeing 
outside of schools, right. these shootings and the, the mall shootings, the Airbnb shootings, on and on and on. And then we hear these stories about kids coming in acting crazy and, and a lot more fighting and the like. And so maybe some of the reason kids aren't coming to school right now is that they don't feel like their schools are keeping them safe, right? And Totally, uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is from before pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of reasonable to expect some of this also apply to post pandemic because now like safety broadly defined is also very much of the biggest concern for kids and their parents. Mm. Okay. Well, wow. This was great, Jing. It's so much more to see here, even though it, it's a kind of a short study for us. Sometimes we uh, dump 400 pages on people. This one's actually pretty <laughs> quick. It's worth looking at. And again, it's, you know, whether you're a, a state policy person who is has to think about your accountability system, and, and this is, might want to be looking into a different kind of measure for attendance than the one you've got, or you're a practitioner you know, at the local level, and you're trying to figure out how to get the kids back in school. This is something worth that. We, we didn't even talk about some of the other cool data here, like looking at it class period by class period, super important high school, right? Tons of kids. They don't skip the whole oh. day. They skip a class or two. If you can't capture that, you're really missing part of the story. But please check it out. Again, it is called Imperfect Attendance Toward a Fairer Measure of Student Absenteeism. Jing Lu at the University of Maryland College Park. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Mike. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. And I hope you had a happy Easter. I did. I was just telling our producer, Pedro, that uh, my brother-in-law-ish, is sort of my husband's side of the family, uh-huh. uh, made 36 eggs. Eggs and cheese. We all uh, mm. had a nice brunch. So That sounds good. Scrambled eggs. Yeah, it was that good. Sounds, that sounds <laughs> great. Well, we, we were on our way back from a week down in Hilton Head visiting my dad. And I have to say, you know, we, we've now definitely started the tradition of trying to hit some college campuses on, on the way Ooh. there way back. Wow. I know he's only in eighth grade, my oldest son, (laughs) but still, we're not doing a formal college tour, but it's never too early. Like a drive by, right? You know, actually we earlier this winter when we were up doing some skiing in New England, we we drove through Williams College, which was lovely. Yeah. Though probably uh, that's a reach school for sure. That's (laughs) that's a tough one. But we saw UNC Chapel Hill on the way Uh, down. That's nice. Uh And and Washington and Lee on the way back up. Yeah. Gorgeous. I had gorgeous. Yep. Have you been to Lexington? I have a little preppy school there, Mike. Is that pretty preppy? (laughs) Uh, Right next to the Virginia Military Institute. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, it, maybe it is preppy. I, I, my, my sense is, you know, it's one of these really great liberal arts colleges. I think it's close mm-hmm. to being in the top 10 nationally, but it is not super, super woke like most of them. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> this is an unusual combination. I mean, they had a, it sounds like a, a very big discussion about, you know, should they change the name, you know, the Lee parts named after Robert E. Lee, who was right. the president of this college for yes. some time. And they had, it sounds to me, a very thoughtful debate discussion. They decided to keep the name. They did some other things to try to deal, you know, with that legacy. And anyway. Um, okay. I didn't know all that. I would not say the Middlebury of Virginia. Um, for <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I'll let you all know uh, how, how this how continues. Yeah, over yes, the next, we, uh, four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yeah, we, we got a little ways. So uh-huh. uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, to continue. All right, what you got for us this week? Let me see. All right, we've got a new study out of the Econ of Education Review, one of these journals that I like. It examines whether a positive signal about a student's ability impacts subsequent enrollment in AP mathematics. 
specifically AP Calculus. I probably, it's probably been a couple months, Mike. I did a similar study on the impact of students scoring just below the cutoff on the PSAT Mm -hmm. um, for recommending them into the AP courses. And the college board had sent this positive message out. Do you remember this one on Mm -hmm. the PSAT? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it uh, it ended up making a difference, increasing both the enrollment and the passing rates in subsequent courses. So this one is sort of related, but also kind of different. And I um, I just wanted to dive in and, and see whether we were starting to get some similarity among these various signaling studies. Mm-hmm. So it's using data from Massachusetts for students who were projected to graduate in 2011 through 2014. Kind of took a while. <laughs> Not sure why. <laughs> but anyway, they collected demographic information, 10th grade state test scores, high school transcripts, and AP exam results. So students who score in the top category of the MCAS are described as advanced on the state report card that's Mm -hmm. sent home to parents. Analysts use a regression discontinuity design, which is pretty popular for these types of studies. They're comparing future course taking and performance for students who score just above and below the cutoff that distinguishes between having the word advanced on your report cards sent home, and the one below it, that category below it called proficient, Mm -hmm. they show that students do not differ at the baseline in any way beyond the ability signal that they receive, which is important in these types of RDD designs. Importantly, the advanced threshold is near the median of the math ability distribution such that roughly half of students receive it in any given year. Uh, yeah. Massachusetts, boy, <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. Huh. Yeah, it's going to come back. We're going to um, talk to Dave Driscoll about that one. That, that's yeah, interesting. Okay. it is. Nothing I had heard of before. Uh, on the descriptive side, they find that Black or Hispanic students, which are, they're both grouped together in this study, are less likely to take AP Calc than their largely white or Asian peers. We've heard that before. They also show descriptively that 10.8% of students took at least one AP Calc exam, 7.6% earned at least a three on it, so that's two-thirds of students. Since less than one-eighth of students take an AP Calc exam, that means a typical student on the margin between advanced and proficient is, quote, an unlikely candidate for AP Mm -hmm. Calculus, Mm -hmm. end quote. Mm -hmm. So the impact analysis shows that the advanced signal has little effect on AP calculus course taking for the average Massachusetts high school student, including white or Asian students. But statistically, uh, significant increases enrollment for black and Hispanic students by about 2.5 percentage points, which is a doubling of AP Cal's course taking rates relative to the low baseline rate for those Mm -hmm. just below the threshold. Again, the advanced threshold is low enough in the ability distribution that it's rare for students near it to take an AP Calc exam. Mm-hmm. Results show that the positive signal has more impact on both course taking and exam taking again for Black or Hispanic students whose 10th grade ELA scores are below the state average for the respective cohort. The idea here is mm-hmm. that maybe you haven't had a positive signal before mm-hmm. and now you do and maybe it, it resonates a little more. But, and this is key, I know this is what we're wondering about, the marginal student induced to take an AP Calc course or exam does not appear to succeed as the positive signal has no Mm -hmm. impact on the share of students earning a B or better in the course, nor does it have an impact on the share earning a three or higher on the corresponding exam, nor does the signal increase the number of advanced courses taken in other subject areas 
And then they have this discussion and they suggest that states and schools need to use other measures, perhaps grades, to devise more accurate measures of fit mm-hmm. or advanced courses since this particular bar was so low. I guess, and we've talked about this before, I'll add that it's not just a better signal we need, but better preparation for rigorous courses in general. So that's what yep. I've got. Okay. Yeah. Now that that all checks out, right? That all makes sense. I mean, the, so you're basically saying the, the kids who are taking and passing AP Calc, you know, they're like in the probably the 90th percentile or above right. in general, right? And and so, right. yeah, kids not, at the 50th percentile. Yeah. I mean, but look, at the same time, you know, this this notion that we have got to keep finding ways to look out for kids, especially from disadvantaged groups uh, who might show promise, even if they don't, you know, maybe have the most stellar academic track record. I mean, it's it's worth it if you can find other good measures, right? And so, you know, certainly the PSAT thing is is great. I mean, you know, if if there's some kids out there who, again, they they might be in schools where they don't they're not used to having many high achieving kids in in some of these subjects, but they pop up and you want to find right. them and you want to give them an opportunity. But that doesn't mean you go to this other extreme that you hear from some people, you know, the so called equity people who say, well, you know. If we're going to have gifted programs, we should have gifted for everyone. And we right. should have AP calculus should be the default. We should right. just enroll everybody in these courses. Well, right. that's yes. not a great you have, strategy. You have a hula hoop talent or whatever you might have. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I know it gets, it gets crazy. Um, yeah. but I, I get it. I get the impulse, right? That yeah. all kids are have some sort of talent. Maybe it's not academic, but it, well, you know, we actually are looking for academic you know, talent. Yeah. And and this study is old enough that this was back when people were excited about AP calculus. And that, now <laughs> since then, people are like, oh, maybe we don't need kids to right, take calculus, right? right? Maybe true. they we're should We're looking be, into data science. Should data, you know, <laughs> AP statistics instead. Statistics. Uh, yes. Okay. Well, interesting. All right. Well, so to compare this with the other study, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, signals still may matter, but uh, the details matter too. And uh, right. That's this, right. this one was just, just not a great signal given how many kids... Right, because we saw some passing rates, right, with the PSAT, mm-hmm. given the different uh, sort of eligibility criteria. Where here it was, uh, yeah, advanced uh, was kind of a loose, loose definition there. Yep, yep, interesting. All right, well, hey, interesting stuff. That that is good. I appreciate it. But that is all the time we've got for this week. So, Amber, until next week. I am Amber Northern, and I am Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.